My wife and I have been married for almost 25 years, and I think I've told you on many occasions that, you know, we never have arguments in our house. We have heated fellowship that, that leads to an interesting conversation. And so, show of hands, not necessarily in your marriage or family, but how many of you have had an opportunity where a complaint came up or there was some sort of conflict. Show the hands if you've experienced conflict or complaint. Now with your hand up, please point now to the source of that complaint or conflict. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, conflicts and complaints are a normal part of our lives. In fact, the Bible says that it's impossible but that offenses will come. And so we're not going to be able to escape conflicts or complaints. The question is, how do we handle them? How do we as a church work together as a family, as a body of Christ, to do life together well and to navigate those challenges? And what you're going to see today as we continue our study in the book of Acts is you're going to see that the church was growing and increasing in number. They had external conflict happening, but then all of a sudden, internal conflict happens. They're growing, there's internal conflict, but the way in which it's handled led to continued growth and ministry. So you have growth, and then you have conflict, but then you have continued growth, because God's people came together and and determined what they believe was God's plan in this. And so if you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of Acts now for some many weeks, and I have loved studying this book with you. This is the origin of the early church. And so today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6. We're going to read some conflict, but you're going to see how the church handled this and how that led to continued growth. So Acts 6, verse 1, in those days... The disciples were increasing in number, and there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurius, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. And the disciples in Jerusalem increased in number, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Lord, today, we want to be shaped and changed by your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in our hearts and in our rooms and in this, uh, in this church, Lord, so that you could do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said? So the church is facing this conflict and this moment. And so let's take a look back now and let's see what we're learning here. Go back to verse one. It says, in those days as the, what's the word? 
disciples, and interesting, make note, this is the first time this word is used in the book of Acts. And remember, the book of Acts is an origin story of the early church. So we're just a few months into the movement of God beginning in the church of Jesus Christ. This is shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this is the first time this word is used. And in fact, this is the most common word for Christians in the Bible. Christians are most commonly referred to as disciples. And this is the Greek word methetes, and it's beautiful. And that word means, listen, look right here, to, to learn or to be a student or to study. So, so, so get this, disciple, Christian, they mean the same thing. So if you're a Christian, you are a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian, which means you're a student and you're constantly learning. And there is no graduation day. That's heaven. But on this world, in this life, we're constantly learning more about what it means to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so Christians are called disciples to remind us that our salvation, it's only the beginning. Once we become a follower of Jesus, then we're growing, and it's a lifelong journey. And sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back and three steps forward and four steps back. But we continue to grow. And a mark of true conversion is that not only do we begin following Jesus, but we continue to grow in Jesus, and there's transformation and change. People ask me all the time, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian? And we've talked at length about that. Remember the series, What is the Gospel? So what do you believe about Jesus Christ and the gospel? Well, there's that. But a second portion is, is there transformation happening in your life? Is there growth? I didn't say you're perfect. Good night. I'm not. I'm a mess. But there is a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. There is growth. And one of the reasons why we're saying, hey, this year we're growing deeper as a family, as a church, is we want to be disciples. Because you know the old saying? It says, a body in motion stays in what? But a body at rest stays at... So we want to be a body in motion, growing disciples. And so... In those days, the disciples were what? Yeah, from 120 huddled up in a little room after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection to now over 10,000 when good things happen, challenges arise. We need to have more confidence in the Lord and a little thicker skin as Christians because every time something challenging happens, we're like, God's oh, not for me. Where did you read that? Challenges are a part of this life, and challenges arise. And the disciples had already experienced quite a few challenges from the outside. Remember, they've, they've already been imprisoned, I think, at least twice. And in chapter 5, they were imprisoned and beaten, and it says they were given 39 lashes. Do you know why they were given 39 lashes? Because 40 will kill you. So they beat them within an inch of their life. And Gamaliel, one of, one of my favorite dudes in chapter 5, he's a religious priest. And they're wondering what to do with these boys. And he comes to him and he says, hey, listen, if this whole Jesus thing is just of man and it's powered by men, it's kind of going to run its course. Leave it alone. 
But if this is of God, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. We should probably let him go. And so they let him go. And the disciples, beaten within an inch of their life, are rejoicing and celebrating what God is doing. So there's challenges outside the church, but they're praising God. Now there's going to be a challenge inside the church because, look, there arose a what? A complaint. This is the Greek word gongusmon. Isn't that a great word? Look at your neighbor and say gongusmon. That's a, that is a fun word to say, and it literally means to grumble. So even the word itself sounds like a complaint, gongusmon. It feels like you're wanting to be argumentative. So there's a complaint in this organization. It feels like your typical Baptist church, doesn't it? By the way, we're a Baptist church. Welcome home, in case you didn't know. But what I love about our body of Christ is we don't, we don't have a ton of gongusmans. And, you know, there's several ways that you can address a complaint. You can, you can just ignore the gongusman. You can ignore it, which is what some of you husbands do to your wives, and it's not working. You, 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 can, you can defer it. You're like, well, maybe it'll address itself later. Or you can deal with it. You can address it now. And that, that's what we see the church doing. They're addressing it. Because the complaint, the gongusmon, was about an issue that was threatening the unity of the church. And we don't know how they brought this complaint, but we do know that the complaint was legitimate because there was a, a, a partiality issue in the daily distribution of food. Some were being well cared for. Some were being overlooked. So this was legitimate. They, they said that the Hellenistic Jews weren't getting the same treatment. And these Hellenistic Jews, they were part of a Greek culture. They lived outside of Jerusalem. And so they lived in these Greek areas and they probably spoke Greek and perhaps embraced some of the Greek culture. And so these Hellenistic Jewish widows didn't receive the same treatment as the Hebraic, the native Jews. And they're saying, we need to deal with this. And often what would happen is when a patriarch of the family died, he would want to be buried in Jerusalem. And so the would travel back to bury him. And then the widow would be left there. But there was no social security or safety nets. And she couldn't get a job. And the only hope was that the community would actually care well for her. And if they didn't, her needs would go unmet. So this was a legitimate gongusman. And when issues arrive... We have to make a choice with our complaint. We can either choose to be an adversary about it or an advocate because of it. We can either just go to war and be an adversary. It's me against you and you against me, and we're going to duke this out. Or we can say, hey, no, there, there's a legitimate need, and I'm advocating for it. Let's work it out together. One of the reasons why we have a leadership value for our team here called Stay at the Table because it's impossible, as I said, that offenses are going to come. Families fight. We argue. We disagree. But we stay at the table, meaning, man, we sit down over a meal. We sit down over a cup of coffee. And we advocate for what's best. I'm not an adversary. I'm not against you. I'm an advocate for what I believe to be an issue that needs to be addressed. So we sit down and we stay at the table. And so... so so the church here is facing this, and, and how are they going to handle it? Look, look at the next verse. So the 12, this is referring to the apostles, which is actually the only time they're referred to this way, summoned 
the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to what? Give up preaching the word of God to do what? Wait on tables. So the apostles come together and they go, okay, this is a legitimate need, a legitimate concern, but it's not right for us to involve ourselves with the distribution of food because if we do that, we can't concern ourselves with the proclamation and the preaching of the word. It's really a matter of priority. And so remember, this is the origin of the early church. This is giving the church the opportunity to discern and determine priorities within their structure. The apostles are saying, if we prioritize the word of God, it's going to be tough for us to prioritize that because we have a limited amount of time and energy and capacity. And if, if we prioritize this, then we will neglect the word of God. So, so therefore, the apostles are saying, hey, the, the priorities need to be in order. We have to care for these widows. That's not the question. They're going to be cared for. The only question is how. And so what's amazing is in the, in the beginning of the church, this complaint provided the early church with the opportunity to begin to determine how she was going to function. So you're seeing in the early church structures being put in place. You know, a body without a skeleton can't stand. And so this has given the early church an opportunity to figure out a solution. Growth can't happen until we figure this out. So if you look at verse 3, you'll find their solution. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, they said, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. Question. Who was the task of selecting these men delegated to? Who was it? Look here. That received the task. Who was given the task of selecting these men? Was it the apostles? Who was it? It was the church. It was the body of Christ. It was delegated to the church under the authority of the apostles. But the church worked together to make this decision. So listen, this is one of the reasons why we believe in meaningful church membership here. This is one of the reasons why we say, hey, don't just be here, belong here. We are a family. We are a body that navigates this together. And there are Numerous and plenty of decisions that me and my team are free to lead out in here. But did you also know that there are many decisions that, that as a team we don't make until the body speaks into it? Did you know that? There are decisions that we don't make as a church until the church affirms it and, and votes on it. And so if you haven't gone through our membership process yet, that could be your very next step. And it's not boring or dull. And let me give you an incentive. I don't teach it. I don't want to listen to Wade preach anymore. I get it. In fact, Jay Fennell teaches this. And if you have ever met a more warm and relational and connective guy than Jay Fennell, I doubt it's ever happened. And so here's what's going to happen. If you don't sign up for our membership classes, I'm going to tell Jay Fennell you don't like him. But listen, think about it. We have, we have this class called Discover Us where we pull back the curtain. We tell you how the sausage is made. This is how we make decisions. This is how we spend money. This is how we form our theology. This is what we're about. You should know that. 
and then discover you. We work with you to help you understand how God's wired you and what your bents are. And we put a coach with you to help you discern your next step. It's an amazing process that we have provided for you. I want you to take Take, take that next step and, and come go with us. And so the, the church is making this decision, and the decision they're, they're making is selecting from among you seven men of, look, good reputation, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. And what you'll see is the church quickly knew who to call on. It didn't take long to make the decision, which means leaders don't need to announce to anyone that they're leaders, <laughs> And if you have to tell others that you're faithful and that you're trustworthy and that you're a person who should be considered as a leader, you, you may not be because people, people already see it in your life. And the qualifications were good reputation, full of the Spirit, meaning not full of the flesh. You have a manifestation in your lives of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and then wisdom, and this doesn't mean the highest education. No, it means skill for living. It means you demonstrate a life well lived. And so listen, it means you don't just have knowledge. Knowledge is just an accumulation of facts. Wisdom means you know exactly what to do with that knowledge and how to live it out to a good and God-honoring end. So it's so wisdom. And so the apostle says, brothers and sisters, you, you select them, we'll appoint them. The apostles delegated it to the church, and they said, you bring them, we will appoint them. He said, this, this task isn't beneath us, but we need men who can do this so we can do that. Every task in a church is a sacred task given by God, and everyone is needed, and everyone has a role. Paul will later say in Ephesians 4, he says, he has given himself some to the church to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here's why. Verse 12, I love this. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Christ. Who is the majority of ministry given to? The saints. The church. Everyone has a role. Everyone is needed in the body of Christ. Because the apostles said, look, verse 4. But we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this is in contrast to serving of food or waiting on tables. And when they talk about the ministry of the word here, this isn't, don't just think platform preaching. No, this is the ministry of the word to the body of Christ, which will include upfront teaching, but it also involves life-on-life -life sharing. So sitting down in a home with a family that's grieving because they just lost a loved one and there's a ministry of the word there. Sitting across a table from someone who's struggling with their faith and they got doubt and ministry of the word. Navigating with our students and young adults that life direction, ministry of the word. It is a public and a private ministry of the word. And what I love here, this is pretty spectacular, but if you look at this, this word ministry here, it has the same root word that you'll find back in verse 2. So this root word ministry is the same root word here when he says wait on tables. So he says you wait on tables while we do the ministry of the word. That word wait and that word ministry has the same root word. It's diakonos. It means servant. It means serving. 
So the apostles were appointing men to the task to serve something up. Hey, we're going to be serving up the word. We're doing the ministry of the word. Diakonos, serving, serving. We're going to be servants of the word. I want you to be servants of people. You, you serve up bread, we'll serve up the bread of life. Both are going to serve up something. You serve the widows, we're going to serve the word. They didn't say this is beneath us. They said if we serve in this way, it's going to really challenge us to serve in that way. Everybody is important and everybody matters. Everyone needs to serve. Servants. You know, it's the same word that Jesus used in Mark 10, 45 when he said, I didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve. It's the same word here. So the body of Christ, listen, is full of people who, who serve others well in the name of Jesus and those who serve the word of Jesus. We serve others and we serve the word. What makes up a great gospel church is when you are serving others and serving the word. You are serving the word and serving others, and it takes everybody to accomplish that. The reason why churches face issues is you might go there and it's a dynamic gathering. You're like, I love the preaching and it's awesome. But they're doing nothing in their communities and nothing. That's, that's not a it's not a gospel-centered church serving others and serving the word. Or you might find a church like, I love the way they reach out in their town, and I love the way they love the town. But the way they handle the word of God is insufficient. They're not training people and discipling people. And so a church needs to have people serving others and serving the word. It's, it's a priority, both. And I love the way this all worked out. Verse 5, look at this. And this proposal did what? It pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And so they pleased them. Everyone approved. We don't know how they affirmed it, if they vote, if it was a mail-in ballot. We don't know. But they affirmed it. And, and, and here's the seven. Here's your boys. And some would say that this is, this is like a, a first group of deacons here, these men being selected. And Stephen here, you can actually read about him in the next chapters because he is going to become the first Christian martyr. In a, in a short time, he's, he's going to die for his faith. And so deacon nominations are coming up. I don't know if that incentivizes you or not, <laughs> but our boy. But he wouldn't deny Jesus. Go read the story. It's powerful. I pray that God would give me a faith that would allow me to look the enemy in the eye like that. It's profound. And Philip, he becomes a mighty evangelist. But we, we don't know a lot about the other five or really what we or what they did. So I, I love that we see some names written down that we know about and some names written down that we don't know anything about. Because we don't need our names written down anywhere to matter in the kingdom of God. And some people are hesitant to serve or they don't want to serve because they don't know if they'll get recognition or they don't know if they'll get glory Ah, it's not really a place I can be seen, or it's not really enough about me. What we do for the kingdom of God is not about us or our name. It's about Jesus' name and his glory. So we have one leader and one king, and it's not anybody in this room. 
And so I think it's great that we, we know about some of these men, but I think it's awesome that we don't know about these guys. But I can't wait to get to heaven with them and, and marvel about some of the works that they did and what happened in the early church and learn about it then. I don't need to know about it now. And I don't need people knowing my name, nor do you. We just need to serve together, both people and the word. We don't need any glory. Jesus is deserving of all of it. And, and there's something else cool in these names that I think is pretty spectacular. Can I share it with you? You got time? Doesn't really matter. We're going to do it. Uh, the, the seven names here are, are also what many would say Greek names. So probably Hellenistic men, Hellenistic Jews. Which Jews were getting overlooked in the daily distri distribution of food? The Hellenistic or the Hebraic? So it looks like they chose Hellenistic men to serve the Hellenistic women. It's pretty cool. So, so the gongusman, the complaint comes up. Like, what are we going to do? Let's figure it out. Like, okay, you boys feel like those ladies are getting overlooked. How about you boys be in charge of it? See, what happens is often people will bring a gongusman, a complaint to the church, and then walk away and go, y'all deal with it. My job was to bring it to you. It's your job to fix it. No, no, no. Listen, if God's putting it in your heart, it's likely because you need to be a part of the solution. God gives you eyes to see and gives you a ministry and gives you a burden in your heart. Come share with us. Hey, I feel like this might be missing in the body. I feel like we might be able to make a bigger impact here. Don't just drop it in our lap and walk away. It's most likely that God is stirring in your heart a need that he has given to you so that you could be a part of the solution. Did, did you know that so many of the ministries and the things that we have been able to do here have been led by people that came to us with a burden, a calling on their heart was given to them and they came to us and then we empowered them to do it. From, from our Brentwood campus to our campus, so many of our ministries have been launched by people that said, what about this need? And we said, you're right. How do you want to help? And they said, I want to get after it. This church was launched with a handful of part-time staff and two full-time staff. The work that we've been able to do is because we have a church body full of people that want to serve. And so from day one, it was our special needs ministry here started because Andrea Westerfield had training and equipping in that way. And she said, I can put some structure around that. Just a launch team member. Our, our foster and adoption ministry team here that, that leads out is all, all volunteers, servants. When, when we opened this facility, we had a training, and the, the organization that built this facility for us was here helping us learn all the AV, and we had this big gathering, and there were 253 people in this room who hadn't opened the building yet, and he said, man, you got a really big church. I said, that's just our leaders. And they're here to be equipped. That's just, that's just our people that want to serve. Our, our men's ministry started with a handful of guys that said, I want our men to love and follow Jesus and serve their families well. And we want to start gathering together and equipping and training them. And now it's blossoming into where many nights of the week we got men up here in the Word. That's, that's men leading men. It's not our staff team. Our, our women's ministry started because ladies said, I want women to be passionate about the Word of God and know the Word of God and pass it on to their kids. And so they began forming Bible studies. God's people kept stepping up to do God's task. And so the, the way forward isn't to see a need and to speak it to a leader and to walk away. The way forward 
is to speak it to a leader and sit down with us and let's figure out what the solution needs to be. And it's, it's probably likely that, that you're called to be a part of it. And going deeper this year means God might be calling you to help meet needs in our community that we can't meet without you. Meets, needs that we haven't even seen yet that you're seeing. And so, so maybe you got a gone gooseman in here. Like, hey, the church needs it. Well, let's talk. We want to serve others well while we serve the word well. And so the question for you this morning, be like, where, where, is, where is your next step in that way? So here's what I want you to do. Take a, stand up with me. Let's stand up together. We just read about the church experiencing rapid growth and they continued with rapid growth and in the middle was this sandwich of a complaint, legitimate complaint that when handled well led to future growth. A church never has an excuse, rapid growth, whatever you want to call it, to ignore the needs of people. We don't want to be people that ignore needs. And God is placing burdens on your heart that maybe we haven't seen or we can't see. Come go with us. Church is not like family. Church is family. I know many of you, God is calling to do something unique and special. And it's going to change the way you see your church family. It's going to change the way you feel about your faith because it's going to become alive and it's going to begin to blossom and it's going to begin to flourish because you're going to take that next big step of going, I don't know what the answer is, but I know the burden that I feel. Our senior pastor, Mike Glenn, says all the time, God's not going to show you the next thing until you do the first thing. It's just, what is that next step? If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. A disciple is a learner, is a student. So what is your next step? This whole year, what we're asking the Lord for is to have a church that goes deeper with him and with one another. You have a next step. Maybe it's meaningful church membership. It's lunch with the pastors next week. Find a place to serve. Find a group. I don't know. But we have honestly made it as simple as we possibly can to give you on-ramps to your next step. And we pray for you every week that this wouldn't just be a church you attend, but a family you feel like you're a part of. That's what we want for you. We're here for you. So I want to pray for you. We're going to continue to worship. And Lord, would you grow us deeper as a family? Would you bring up some gongus bonds in some people's hearts where they would go, man, I, I feel like we need, we need this ministry. We need to do it. Let's do it. We want to serve people well. Help our church to be a church of next steps, a church of going deeper, a church of disciples. And Lord, we bless you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.